It's Berlin and the year is 1885. Scientist Paul Ehrlich notices something strange. He's trying to figure out how different organs consume oxygen. So he's injecting colored dye into mice to see how it spreads through their bodies. But the strange thing is, the dye stains every organ in the little mouse's body except one, its brain. Paul Ehrlich didn't know it, but he had accidentally discovered one of the most powerful security systems in the human body, the blood-brain barrier. It's a discovery that scientists are still trying to fully unlock, centuries later. On this episode, we're going to track a lot of the other what-if moments that led from Ehrlich and his mouse to groundbreaking research that just might save your life. I'm Shannon Murphy, and this is Invisible Forces. It's an original podcast from Jefferies where we track the surprising and sometimes unlikely moments of investment and innovation that have led to medicine's biggest breakthroughs. And thanks to modern science, we're living longer and fuller lives than ever before. The downside of this is that more of us are going to be diagnosed with neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's as the population ages. I mean, these diseases didn't exist 50 to 100 years ago because no one lived you know, past their 50s or 60s. These are diseases of our generation, the age where we're healthy and we're, you know, we're not dying from infectious disease. And instead, we degenerate because we live so long. Scientists have been trying to find ways to treat these conditions for decades, but still haven't cracked the code. That's partially due to Paul Ehrlich's discovery way back in 1885, the blood-brain barrier. It serves as a great security system, keeping unwanted molecules out of the brain. And most of the time, we want that. But it also makes it incredibly difficult to get helpful medicines into the brain to treat diseases. Today, meet the scientists who are finally figuring out how to get through the blood-brain barrier and why that could eventually mean the end of some of this generation's most devastating conditions. My origin story really begins with my own mother's fight with Alzheimer's disease. That's Ryan Watts. He's the founder and CEO of Denali Therapeutics. His company's been in the news lately for its work developing treatments for neurodegenerative diseases. And for him, the work is personal. Over 6 million Americans over the age of 65 live with Alzheimer's disease, including Ryan's mother. We founded the company, we launched, and on our website it says, Defeat Degeneration. And I remember showing the website to my mother, I'll, I'll never forget this day for the first time, you know, and we're in our little kitchen, and she looked at it and she said, I think I have that. And I said, well, well what do you mean? And she said, never mind, I don't want you to love me any less. And I've basically watched her now over the last six years uh, lose her memory, where now she requires essentially full care. And probably the most striking experience was on October 16th, 2018. So we're three and a half years in and she looked at me and had no idea who I was. And I think that for me, that's why Denali exists. Denali is one of the companies trying to come up with an effective treatment and they aren't alone. There's a whole sector of the healthcare and biotech industry that's been working for decades on a cure. What's been the challenge in neurodegeneration is 
Number one, a lack of understanding of the drivers of neurological diseases. Mike Yee is a colleague of mine who keeps a close eye on the sector as a managing director and biotech analyst at Jefferies. He's seen how important both investment and innovation are to finding better treatments. The second thing I think is important, certainly in our industry, which is capital. And because the probability of success and because drug development in neurology has been so difficult, naturally, there isn't a great amount of capital that's poured into that area. And so both lack of understanding of some of these diseases, as well as a lack of capital, has contributed to less advancements in neurodegeneration. But scientists like Ryan Watts are changing that with new ways to cross the blood-brain barrier. First, let's get a mental picture of what this brain barrier actually is and why it's so hard to get medicine past it. The simplest way to think of it is all the blood vessels in the brain, if you take the blood vessels out and you string them in a line, it's basically San Francisco to Los Angeles. It's 400 miles worth of blood vessels. And these blood vessels have tight junctions. They're locked in place so molecules don't get across them. But we can take advantage of some of the natural transport mechanisms, mechanisms that will get iron or glucose or, you know, basically molecules that you take from your diet into the brain and basically hitch a ride and get molecules across the blood-brain barrier. Or we can engineer small molecules to be able to diffuse through these vessel walls. As with most things in science, though, that's easier said than done. You need that invisible force to come into play. The alchemy that takes personal passion like Ryan's, a serendipitous discovery like Paul Ehrlich's mouse, and mix it together with decades of work. So before we can understand why Ryan's work is so exciting now, we have to go back in time. You heard at the top of the show, the brain security system was originally discovered by accident in the 1880s. And Paul Ehrlich didn't know what he had found. It wasn't until decades later it even got the name the blood-brain barrier. That was in 1918, when a Russian biochemist named Lena Stern conducted a series of experiments to prove it existed. So scientists have known about the blood-brain barrier for a long time. But it wasn't until the other 80s, the 1980s, that someone realized it might be useful to get past it. And that someone was Dr. William Partridge. Dr. Rashida Sumbria will help us pick up the story with one more aha moment in the quest to cure neurodegenerative diseases. These days, she's an assistant professor at the Chapman University School of Pharmacy and she studies the blood-brain barrier. And she's also worked closely with William Partridge in his lab. Dr. William Partridge was basically the pioneer of the molecular Trojan horse technology for brain drug delivery. The Trojan horse. It's known that this isn't the perfect metaphor, but at the time, William Partridge was trying to find a way to sneak medication past the blood-brain barrier. Much like the ancient Greek army needed a way to sneak past the mighty walls of Troy. He knew that there are a few molecules that can penetrate the blood-brain barrier. Useful things like insulin and iron. He actually came up with this, with this thought or the idea that 
if you can use the insulin receptor, the transferrin receptor to get insulin or iron into the brain, then maybe we can design molecules that bind to those same receptors to get drugs into the brain. So yes, he was pretty much the pioneer of this idea, and he's seen this through for the last 30, 40 years. This was the start of the so-called Trojan horse method for drug delivery into the brain. But for a long time, it seemed like William Partridge was one of the few people who cared about it. There was really a dearth of blood-brain barrier scientists, which was what kind of slowed the field. The other thing was, most funders weren't interested in blood-brain barrier research on its own. It had to be disease-specific. For example, blood-brain barrier with respect to Alzheimer's or stroke or Parkinson's. It just could not have been a blood-brain barrier standalone application. But to William Partridge, the important thing was the technology that can facilitate treatments for all sorts of different diseases. The vector, as Rashida calls it. Now you have a vehicle to get things into the brain. You can literally attach any large molecule to it. So the technology itself is just the antibody, right? The technology is, or or the vector is what's the most important part. In 2003, William started a company called Armagen. It was initially funded by grants primarily from the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. And for the first eight or so years in Armagen's life, there still wasn't a lot of interest in the work being done there. Suddenly in 2011, you see this influx of interest from big pharma, which which I thought was extremely exciting. If you look at people focusing on blood-brain barrier, molecular Trojan horses, it's a pretty small field. Rashida was a postdoc student in William Partridge's lab at the time. So I, I believe Dr. Partridge's final aim was to see this technology enter the clinic. So for that, you need big investment. I clearly remember his words, and he said, this is like a miracle that he had this investment coming in from these big pharmaceutical companies. A lot of them were primarily interested in rare diseases, and they put in a lot of money in Armagen to really move this technology forward. And that investment is crucial to the alchemy of innovation. You could have the best idea in the world, but if you don't have funding or if you don't have money, the idea can go nowhere. Which brings us back to Ryan Watts. We know he has a personal interest in neurodegenerative diseases. Before founding Denali in 2015, he worked at a company called Genentech. I was one of the first to start working on neurodegeneration at Genentech and spent roughly 11 years building a group there. And I think what ended up happening is my original training was on how the brain develops. And then thereafter, I focused on how cancer forms and blocking blood vessel formation in tumors. And there was this perfect merger of the two, focusing on blood vessels in the brain or what is known as the blood-brain barrier. And so that was an area I started really spending a ton of time working on. Genentech was primarily focused on oncology. So Ryan decided to start his own company to focus on neurodegeneration. And they immediately set to work to try and improve this Trojan horse style of delivery system. Many other labs had used standard antibodies and saw that basically the antibodies were trapped in blood vessels. You know, so sort of the concept was that actually maybe these iron transport is not the way to get across the blood-brain barrier. And then we started working on this, us and others, and realized that you just need a really light touch. You just need to bind loosely to the receptor so you can get into the blood vessel, and then it's able to distribute on the other side throughout the brain. And that was an important, I think, insight. Before we go any further, we should let Ryan have his say about the idea of a Trojan horse. 
Trojan horse is totally incorrect, right? Because a Trojan horse, it goes in there and it just like dumps its contents and it's sort of disguised. The disguise part may be correct that you're just, you're hitching a ride and you're not affecting the normal function. But that's not how the brain at all works. Instead, he likens it to a revolving door. And so rather than just opening the door, there's a revolving door that allows you to keep the environment outside the way it is and inside the way it is. And you just basically, that's essentially how it works. It's just when you hitch a ride with that revolving door, it brings you in. So Ryan and his team at Denali are trying to improve on this method that started back in the 1980s. The concept of using various transporters to get across the blood barrier is not new, but it hasn't been industrialized. And I think invention requires the industrialization of the inventions. And I think for us, the biggest breakthrough was being able to integrate the binding site into an area that's not normally used for binding that allows us to get the molecule across the blood-brain barrier because then we can use the rest of the molecule to go after you know, the therapeutic targets. Denali calls the technology they've developed to deliver drugs into the brain their transport vehicle. And it differs from the historic Trojan horse delivery systems in one key way. What makes the transport vehicle unique is that we've actually engineered a certain portion of an antibody known as the FC region. It's a constant region of an antibody. In fact, we engineered that portion of an antibody to bind to the transferrin receptor, which is required for iron uptake. And no one else had ever done this before. The first time they realized that their transport system was working as they hoped it would was in a clinical trial to treat a very rare genetic disorder called Hunter syndrome that primarily affects young boys. And it's an enzyme deficiency. It's called a lysosomal storage disease, so it lacks an enzyme. And there's an approved medicine, which is basically injecting the enzyme in blood. And so that enzyme gets to all the organs except for the brain. And so what happens is that the medicine can treat the peripheral manifestations of the disease affecting your heart and other organs and bone but it doesn't treat the neurological symptoms. And so these patients, these young boys with Hunter syndrome, have pretty severe neurological deficits and ultimately degeneration. So the Denali trial aims to get that enzyme directly into the brain. Probably the most striking moment in my entire career in drug development and drug discovery was seeing that four out of the five patients that were treated in just the first month had completely normalized their enzyme activity. They had reduced the substrate to the enzyme. And that hasn't been achieved with any other therapeutic approach, including injecting the enzyme directly into the brain. And what we learned is that actually the human brain, this 400 miles worth of blood vessels, is really effective at transporting molecules. And if we can hitch a ride, we can then now apply this to all sorts of other therapies using this iron transport. The success of this trial has huge potential implications for future treatments of other neurodegenerative diseases, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and ALS. Here's Dr. Rashida Sumbria again. It would be very exciting to see if this technology is successful for Alzheimer's disease. But again, brain stroke, Parkinson's disease, these are just a few neurodegenerative diseases that can really benefit. Like I said, the delivery system or the technology has been validated. And Ryan recognizes that Denali can't do this all on its own. He says that partnerships are crucial to their innovation. 
We founded Denali in 2015, and one week after we launched the company, we entered into our first partnership. We now have over 40 partnerships that bring in technologies. For example, I described you know, the FC engineering piece, other biomarkers bringing in these type of technologies, but then also global partners to develop medicines in Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's, ALS. And that allows us with these global partners to run clinical trials globally, to access experience from these partners, but also to fuel or pay for the drug development of these programs. Although a lot of these treatments are still in the early stages, my Jeffrey's colleague Mikey is also very excited about the research Denali and other labs are doing and what it might mean for the future of our brains. And if you go look back at the last 10 or 20 years, there was a first drug approved for cancer. It might not be a very good chemotherapy, but then there were better chemotherapies and then there were better targeted drugs. And now there's cell therapy and CAR T therapy for cancer. And I think that with Alzheimer's, that might be the first step and multiple sclerosis and et cetera, et cetera. So I think, again, you can see from a bigger picture how these early advancements, I think, do shine a light on what can be over the next 10 years. From Paul Ehrlich's accidental discovery that dye didn't bleed into a mouse's brain, to William Partridge's innovation to try and cross it with his Trojan horse, and the investors that saw the promise in the work that's being done, all of these sparks made possible the things that Ryan Watts and his colleagues are working on today. It's the amazing power of all of these what-if moments aligning in the exact right conditions, along with investment and innovation, The power of the breakthroughs that will continue to improve our quality of life as we live longer and longer. You've been listening to Invisible Forces, an original podcast from Jeffries. I'm Shannon Murphy. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. See you in two weeks. This podcast may not be distributed or reproduced. The podcast is not research, a recommendation, or an offer to buy or sell. It is provided for information only. Views constitute best judgment as of the published date and may change without notice. The data used is not independently verified. No representation is made as to accuracy, including as to future events or reasonableness of assumptions. Views are those of the individuals identified. Jeffries and its agents are not liable for damage from the podcast. Jeffries is not providing advice as to legal, tax, accounting, or other matters. Additional disclaimers are on jeffries.com.